All right, we have a great episode of Side Retired, the MLB podcast coming at you guys today. It's Dylan Campione and James Taussig, as always. And today we're going to be joined by a very special guest, Danny Vietti. So, James, let's hit the intro music and we'll get right into this. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the only podcast, Dylan and James. And James, before we introduce our guests, how you doing? Doing good, doing good. Excited to, to talk baseball. Love it, absolutely. It's always a great night talking baseball, but today we are joined by the co-host of the Wake and Rake podcast. He's also a social media manager at CBS Sports, Danny Vietti. How you doing? And thanks so much for joining us. Fellas, baseball season is over, so it's a little... it's always bittersweet, right? Like you want to celebrate the Rangers and the great season that they had. And you also are kind of sad because we're not going to get baseball games for another 150 days, basically. But um, excited to be here. Happy to be talking baseball with you guys. So thanks for having me. I love it. I know as a Mets fan and James is a Yankee fan, we are happy that the 2023 season, we are able to move past it and off to hopefully an exciting off season, but I'm sure we'll get to that later on in the episode. But for our loyal listeners who always know, we start off with our guest career journey and basically talking about your story in the baseball world. So it's a very open-ended question to start things off. But in case our audience doesn't know who you are, if you want to give an introduction to yourself and what's your basically baseball journey. Yeah, uh, I could go on for hours. So just stop me if I start <laughs> running on too too quickly or too long. But yeah, so I, I'm the social media manager or one of the social media managers at CBS Sports. My main duties are running the TikTok accounts, Instagram accounts. I write part-time and then I do podcasting part-time as well. I kind of am like a utility player, I guess, if you will, with CBS Sports. But main duties are social media, running those accounts and creating content and uh, and then doing everything with the Wake and Rake podcast with Will Middlebrooks. He is my co-host on that, that podcast. So um, yeah, everything Wake and Rake and uh, everything social media with CBS Sports. I love it. So then I guess the first question based off that is obviously social media is a big thing in the baseball industry. Now it's no longer just newspapers. So what is like the day in the life look like? How does social media interact with like a 24 seven day lifestyle? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's I'm getting kind of a unique position over at CBS because my passions and expertise lies on the baseball side of things which is different than a lot of how CBS sports is operated because we don't broadcast major league baseball. We don't have footage rights. We we have some contractual things like we can show highlights on CBS sports HQ and whatnot. Um, but we do not broadcast major league baseball games. We have not done so since I think it was the 1990s. The last time CBS had baseball games, major league baseball games, I should say. Um, and so for me, what's really cool about TikTok, and that's, kind of where I have uh, you know, found my alleyway here on the social team is TikTok really allows you to speak to audiences that don't already follow you. You know, like on Instagram, for example, if you're not following an account, you're rarely, if ever, going to see that content. TikTok, the way that their algorithm works is if you push certain content, regardless of sport, it goes on that little for you page and then it can find its way over to certain niches and audiences. So a lot of my expertise is baseball. That's where I, you know, that's why I grew up playing. I played collegially. I had the Wake and Rake podcast. So I've been able to, while CBS is focused as it should be 
on NFL, college basketball, college football, which is what they broadcast, I've been able to kind of use my own um, expertises and knowledge within baseball to kind of find an audience on TikTok. So, um, yeah, it's been a blast. I mean, we've been able to grow our account. We were at zero followers right around the pandemic in like 2020. And I think now we're approaching 4 million, which is, which is incredible. And a lot of that credit just really goes to the company and my team. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, you, I mean, that just sounds like an amazing job over at CBS, but also, you know, you've started this wake and rake podcast with Will Middlebrooks. How did all that start? How did that come together? Uh, and just how much fun is that having, having on the side, uh, with all that going on at CBS? It's a blast. So Will and I, originally started at CBS Sports. Uh, so Will is an analyst, uh, baseball analyst for CBS Sports HQ. His wife is one of our anchors, and she's also an on-field reporter for our SEC on CBS games. So I worked social media business. Will and Jenny, they, I've kind of been in contact with them because we're all under the same umbrella. So I remember contacting Will. Again, this is around the pandemic time of things, and we had nothing better to do with our lives, basically. So I hit up Will and I was like, dude, like CBS Sports does not have a baseball podcast. They have a baseball, a fantasy baseball podcast. And Scott and uh, and Chris and those guys do a phenomenal job, by the way. But they don't have a mainstream baseball podcast. What do you say we give it a go and try to do a baseball podcast through CBS? And CBS was a little bit reluctant at first because of the reasons I already shared. We don't broadcast Major League Baseball. And so when you don't have a monetary investment into a sport, there's complications when you want to try and invest in in other areas and try to grow a sport when you don't broadcast that sport. So we originally, Will and I both filled in for the CBS Sports Fantasy Baseball podcast. We would fill in once or twice a week um, for about six months or so or so maybe a little bit less than that and then we tried doing a mainstream non-fantasy just just baseball podcast through cbs sports but because our company doesn't broadcast major league baseball they didn't really want to invest into a baseball broadcast broadcast at least not at that time and so will and i decided to do our own venture and we've been doing the wake and rake podcast for i think it's going on three years maybe even Starting next season, I think it might be our fourth season, believe it or not, which is crazy to think about. But long story short, it all started with just like a DM on Twitter of me and Will reaching out and saying, hey, man, like we both work for the same company. What do you say? And it's led to this and it's led to a a really great friendship between him and I. And it's led to us being able to talk baseball for an hour, two hours a week, just talking shop. So it's been a blast. I love it. Sort of, as you just mentioned, you're in the TikTok area as well, where that's like 60 second clips, immediate reactions or immediate content. And then, as you just mentioned, a podcast where it's 45 minutes, it's an hour of talking baseball. Do you have a different approach of like, all right, this is what I want to sound like on a TikTok or what I want to portray to the audience versus on a podcast where you can really talk about a certain topic for an hour and that's completely fine? Great question. I would say that nowadays, if you're not tailoring your content on air for social, you're missing out on some really big opportunities for growth. Here at CBS Sports, we're slowly evolving into a cohesive unit of social media and digital. And by digital, I mean like our our NFL pregame show every Sunday that ever, everybody watches before the NFL games start. Like five years ago, we had little to no contact between our social team and the, the Bill Cowers of the world and the Nate Burlesons, our talent 
on that pregame show. Now here in 2023, there's an there's a bridge. Like like there's there, the way that social media has grown so quickly. I think everybody's now even still trying to catch up with the modern age of social media. Like the people on the digital side of things and like the TV broadcast. Like look at what Pat McAfee's doing. Like his his clips from his po- his podcast are very very uh, full of life on social media. Whereas there are some shows I'm not going to call anybody out, but there are some TV programs that are just not built for social media for whatever reason. And so the later that we've gotten here, the more that we've been able to bridge the gap between programming and social media. And so like from the wake and rake, when we're planning ideas or planning conversations, we're not trying to go viral necessarily, but we do try and think of certain topics that will translate to something on social media, or maybe it's a trending topic. Maybe it's a trending hashtag or something like that. So I guess I'll follow up with that because I know one of our guys that sometimes on the podcast and sometimes is in charge of the socials. He's like, guys, you guys are not talking about anything that I could do in a 60 second clip. Cause I know James yeah. and I are very long winded when we sometimes talk about uh, stuff like that. So basically, is it almost like a, you're thinking about, cause I just mentioned, you just mentioned it sort of thinking about how can we in the moment make a TikTok, or is it just, does it naturally flow for you guys at this point? I'd say it's probably a combination of both. Like, like for example, when you're talking about playoff formats during the playoffs this year, ever there was a there was a major debate of whether Major League Baseball should alter their playoff format because a lot of people were upset because the number one and two seeds were going down like flies. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks were the last and final seed to make it into the National League. They rolled over the Brewers, Dodgers, and then they got past the Phillies, made it to the World Series. Of course, they ended up falling short. But there's a lot of conversation of, okay, you're giving these number one seeds a week off. Their bats get cold. Is that an unfair advantage for the the top seeds? And so Will and I knew that was a hot topic. So we did not at all. It's not like we script these things out. It's very much just natural banter between the two of us. Like I have here, like I have a notebook here that, you know, I'll jot down notes. But it's mostly like stats and reference points for me. Like if I'm making an argument on the podcast, because I got to kind of come with my best stuff against Brooksy, because I, I, I'm already like, like I'm kind of playing with house money, but at the same <laughs> time, like he has a World Series ring. So like no matter what I say, I am always going to be the underdog. And he knows that. I know that. So I really got to bring my A game every single podcast. So like mostly here is just like notes and stats and like data to back up my argument. But none of what we say is ever like scripted. I would say the only thing that's scripted is certain topics that we absolutely want to touch on, such as like the playoff format or the altering of the playoff format. And then we kind of let, you know, we let the dialogue dominate the the conversation. Yeah, well, I guess now that we're talking a little bit of some ball, I guess we can transition into the offseason a little bit. Um, you know, I guess what's what's one big splash move that you could see happening uh, that, that you've been kind of forecasting now that we've, we're heading into, into free agency uh, here in November? I would really have San Francisco circled to making some some splashy moves. I know you guys both mentioned that you're two New York guys, so I know you want me to say Juan Soto to the Yankees or maybe the the Mets. I, I, the Mets are in a really weird spot right now, but I, I'm going to focus on the West Coast here because I think that's where a lot of the noise is going to be um, because of the Otani sweepstakes. Seattle's looking to make some splashy moves. 
the Dodgers have fallen short yet again. And they're last year they unloaded payroll, which is very unlike the Dodgers. So they're in position to spend some money. They're expected to be at the top of the Otani sweepstakes. But San Francisco has been the bridesmaid for the past <laughs> six years in free agency, starting with Bryce Harper back in 2019. Uh, then it was Garrett Cole. They were supposedly in, in discussions there. Uh, Trevor Bauer, although that contract obviously didn't work out by any means, but they were supposedly in on him. Um, they were supposedly in on the Juan Soto trade sweepstakes, but they were not able to match any sort of offer that the Padres wound up giving the Washington Nationals to get Soto. Uh, Arson Judge... Uh, Carlos Correa, you know, the list goes on. So San Francisco does not have a face of the franchise. Logan Webb is a Cy Young candidate this year. He's one of the best pitchers, starting pitchers in the National League. And I think he's still underrated because of the production that he has. I think he led the National League this year in innings pitch. So he takes the mound every start and he was absolutely dominant this year. But to be a face of the franchise is, is more than just being a really good player. Look at Mike Trout. You know, like Mike Trout is arguably the best player of this generation. And through the first 10 year, years of his career, his numbers supported the argument that he was going to be one of the best players to ever play Major League Baseball. But a lot of people argue at that same time was that he wasn't as marketable as other players because he wasn't flashy. He doesn't do a lot of advertisements. He's not on billboards. So similarly in San Francisco, they need a billboard guy. Otani is a billboard guy. Uh, they're not going to trade Soto within the division, but like somebody like a Juan Soto, Shohei Otani, they need somebody on a billboard in San Francisco. Brandon Crawford's gone this year. He was really the last player from their three titles in 10, 12, and 14 that they still had attached to those titles. They have absolutely nobody now. I mean, last year they were slotting in Wilmer Flores at the three hole. That's just not going to put butts in the seats. I really trust what that front office does analytical wise, but they need somebody in the middle of that order and to really be a face of the franchise in San Francisco. And they have the money and pieces to move to make big time deals this offseason. Yeah, I think the crazy thing with them is right now, if you ask James and I, who's the face of that franchise, it might be Bob Melvin, which is a crazy thing to think about, but I don't know if it's a good thing when your manager is that guy that you identify as the team. Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about that same thing. Uh, I went to, it was, God, I think it was Giants, Padres, last month of the season. And both teams weren't mathematically eliminated yet. But it, it was just sad to see what the ballpark atmosphere is now in San Francisco. And we were talking about that same topic. We were saying, like, who, like who's the face of the franchise right now? We all kind of settled on Logan Webb. But... Even then, again, I just kind of laid out my points. Camila Duvall was brought up as well, but your closer really shouldn't be your face of the franchise either. But to see what that team was in 10, 12, 14s, it was more than just winning titles. Like Tim Lincecum, get your ass to the ballpark. Brian Wilson was electric every single time he took them out. Say what you want about Pablo Sandoval and what he did in Boston. When he was in San Francisco, every single person in the stands wore in panda hats. So like they had just such polarizing figures on their team and, and both good and bad um, that whether they're winning or losing, they had for, I think a five-year stretch in San Francisco, they had the most consecutive sellouts in major league baseball. And not all of those seasons, by the way, they were winning. They didn't make the playoffs in 2011, 2013, 2015. So there you go. Yeah. I think Logan Webb could probably walk down the street and two people would recognize him in all of San Francisco. So probably not 
face of the he looked he looks more like you guys ever seen the movie game night he looks more like the actor and i forget <laughs> the actor's name but i think more people would confuse logan webb for the actor in game night than they would the starting pitcher for the san francisco Giants. <laughs> oh i love it but i guess there are two stars that have been in the news recently and that's bryce harper moving to first base full time and then so much of my dismay, Pete Alonso trade rumors continue to be prevalent throughout the whole time. So what do you think those two storylines will play out between, I guess, now two first basemen in the NL East? It's conflicting with Alonso because Alonso seemingly wants to stay in New York. And he's kind of been on record saying how much he loves New York. And there were reports just two months ago saying, or maybe even a month ago, that uh, the, the players went into the front office and said, you know, please don't trade Pete. We love Pete. So. At the end of the day, it comes down to the business and what makes sense for the team. I think if the right deal is out there, I mean, where the Mets are right now is it would be hard to argue that they're going to be competing for a championship in 2024. Now, they have the money if they go out and and, and offer Otani a blank check. They could go out and, you know, do what Steve Cohen does. And just go out and spend money and they could probably put themselves in position to convince themselves that they are going to compete for a title in 24. But with the unloading of their roster midseason this last year, getting uh, a, a you know little Acuna midseason, uh, getting rid of Verlander Scherzer and, and trying to build your farm up a little bit. Um, indications are to me is they're trying to really compete for 2025 and beyond. Uh, and and to get rid of Billy Upler and those guys, new manager in town too. So they're building towards something, and I don't think that's 2024. So the way that Pete Alonso's contract sits, I think, it's my personal opinion, I don't have anybody telling me this, but I think if the deal was right and there were the right amount of prospects or maybe the Mets see you know potential in certain guys in that trade offer, I think they'd pull the trigger, but it would have to be a, a really strong offer. James is happy about that because James is very loving to see my Mets go away from the team. <laughs> uh, I mean, not not much for me to cheer about in New York this year. I'm, I, I'd be very happy with the Yankees reducing salary the way the Dodgers did this past season. I think it's it's time for for a big time front office change change for my New York Yankees. Um, they need a culture change, man. They need, <laughs> they need a lot of changes. There's a lot of it's problems. 2023, and they're still. Like they're still like uh, fantasizing and like living in the past. Like you've got to turn the page at some point and start playing modern baseball. How much of the Brian Cashman interview have you seen from <laughs> yesterday? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I've seen a bit. It, it was it was a tough scene to say the least. Uh, yeah, that was just that was one of the saddest things I think I've ever seen in my twenty years of watching the New York Yankees. <laughs> I'll say this though, you know, like. Cashman deserves a lot of the blame of their recent failures. Don't get me wrong, but they're the only team in major league baseball to not have a losing season since the turn of the century. Well, it's a little little hard whenever you can spend $250 million a year and not really face repercussions. We spent 400 and and had a losing season. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The Padres are in line there too. Yeah, like the, (laughs) The standard for the Yankees is just, so unbelievably high. I mean, the standard every single year is the Yankees need to be competing for a championship. And mm-hmm. when you have that payroll, to your point, you should be competing for a championship each and every single year. And I think mm-hmm. Brian Cashman is, again, I, I think Cashman in that front office is still living in the past, trying to create rosters that gave them success back in the 90s and the 20s uh, and the 2000s. When I think nowadays they're getting their asses kicked by teams that are using platoon players and 
constructing a roster in a variety of different ways instead of being so stubborn. Like like the Yankees are trying so hard to be 2009 Yankees that they're forgetting to try and be the 2023 Texas Rangers. Uh, I mean, yeah, when you have when your general managers flexing on all of baseball that they have one of the smallest analytical departments in in the major leagues, it's probably not a good thing uh, heading into the 2024 uh, Major League Baseball season. Yeah. Um, but no, another, another guy who's been in the storylines, uh, that I think is really intriguing and Dylan's not going to like me teetering the line here with this one, but, uh, Trevor Bauer has been reported to be coming back over to the States, uh, and looking for a contract again in the major leagues. Uh, where do you think he fits best? Cause I, I think, I think Seattle or San Francisco would be a really good option for him. Uh, both teams looking to, you know, make the playoffs heading into 2024 and take that next step. Uh, towards maybe winning their division. Very convoluted because it's deeper than just the legal issues with Trevor. And I have a relationship with his agent, Rachel Luba. We've had her on the podcast. She's phenomenal. What she did with Trevor and his contracts was that three years ago, I think it was, um, it was historical. Um, But it's more than just the business side of things with Trevor. And it's more than just the legal things too. It's how he fits into a clubhouse. Mm-hmm. I think with the right clubhouse and the right culture, he absolutely can be a difference maker. And I mean, his fastball was up into the 99s this year, maxing out 99s. It was averaging, I think, 95 on his fastball this year. And uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he won like player of the month, like two straight months, the second half of the year. So he was pitching as good as he ever was over in Japan this year. So the stuff is still there. And that was never in question. It's really a question of, do you want video cameras in the clubhouse? Because that's what he did, like his YouTube channels and um, his uh, everything he does on social media. It works with certain clubhouses. It doesn't with others. You know, it just depends. It's very case by case. So um, and two, there's just going to be a whole lot of media a lot more media um it, political media is going to you're going to have CNN and Fox News reporters in the press conferences after games that doesn't really happen in major league baseball but because Trevor Bauer and his story and his investigations were so public and so um polarizing you're going to have a lot more cameras in your face and so it really comes down to whether a clubhouse wants to involve themselves in those conversations and my personal belief, like if I was putting all my money on yes or no, I would say yes, he will be in Major League Baseball in 24. I personally think it's going to be more like a a small market uh, rebuilding team such as Oakland, um, Pittsburgh, somebody like that that is willing to roll the dice and give him you know, an incentive-based contract, nothing long-term, so that he can come back to Major League Baseball and resurrect his career. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, you say Fox News, CNN. It sounds like Washington D.C. and the Nationals is where I'll I'll, I'll be placing <laughs> yeah. my. Yeah, my that's team. that's another. Yeah, that's definitely another option. That, that's personally like, I just don't see a team like like a, a true team trying to compete in twenty four, such as the Dodgers, the the Yankees, the um the the Rays. Maybe the Rays actually, because they're such a small market team. But like a team that um already has a good cohesive culture together. I don't think they want to risk throwing a wrench into the culture that they've already built over time when they already have a good roster in front of them. 
Yeah, no, exactly. the Rays the Rays would take Trevor Bauer and turn him back into 2020 Cy Young, 1.745, like 300 strikeout Trevor Bauer, and would be yeah. the just downfall of my happiness for all of 2024. <laughs> yeah, I said Rays, and I immediately went, no, 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 he could actually be a pretty good fit there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's, and you also mentioned the contract, because I think that set the standard of sort of the short-term high AAV. He had the opt-outs if he wanted to take them, and I think, Scherzer the next year, Verlander the year after that, of realizing that, hey, we don't need to do these five-year, $150 million deals, but instead let's do the three-year, 120 and that doesn't burden teams, and you can also, it's not a big hindrance long-term. I think my Mets, I don't think they'd be a fit for him, but I would not be opposed to it at all. The only problem mm-hmm. would be New York media would be a little interesting, plus the what happened in 2020 of leaving them at the altar, it seemed like, with the Mets, but... Um, I would definitely not be opposed to it at all if it were to happen. I don't see it personally. I, I <laughs> that man, it's going to be a media circus. Where I mean, he's he could go to Oakland and it's going to be a media circus <laughs> just with how much he brings with him. For you know, for better or for worse, yeah. right? Like I'm not saying like you know, I, I'm not taking sides here. It's just the reality. He's going to have a lot of media in front of him yeah. in New York. God, man. I mean, uh, who's who's the who's the uh, I'm drawing a blank on your uh, the second baseman with the beard, Luis yeah. Guillorme. Like, yeah, like right, Luis yeah. Guillorme would be an absolute nobody in Cincinnati, but he <laughs> plays in New York, and he's probably has people fall. like New York is just it's just it's different. It's completely different than everybody else. No, it literally, am- it literally amplifies everything. But I think Guillorme had that one play in spring training that he caught the bat in the dugout, and all of a sudden that's a story for a week versus where that yeah. happens anywhere else. You're not even talking about. But one of the other guys coming from overseas as well would love for my Mets to take him. Yoshinobi Yamamoto seems mm. like a fit. That seems more like a natural fit for the Mets or for the Dodgers or James is praying for the Yankees. How much do you know about him? Because I know a lot of our audience isn't as familiar with his game as possible. My understanding of Yamamoto is he's a guy that's going to take the hill every single start. Um, he's runs his pitch count up over 100, 120 pitches very regularly. Uh, he does not have any injury concerns which is almost counterintuitive because pitchers nowadays, especially when they throw as hard as they do, typically they're going to run into an injury eventually. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that Yamamoto hasn't had injury concerns because every pitcher seemingly does. But um, I digress. 95 uh, miles per hour fastball. He's not. He's typically not going to run it up to, to upper nines, but he's consistently in mid-nines. Uh, he's got an electric splitter, as a lot of the Asian descent pitchers do. Uh, kind of Otani-esque, really. A, a, night, a really uh, good breaking ball, and he's able to um, play around with grips a lot with his fastballs, kind of run it in on right-handers and cut it in on left-handers as well. So um, very creative. With the baseball, as I mentioned, a lot of these Asian descent pitchers really are. They just have a really good feel for the seams and a feel for the ball. Um, Splitter is, is an A-plus pitch, his fastball, and his fastball command is an A-plus pitch. And scouts are saying that he should be slotted in once he signs as a number one or number two starter this next season. Yeah, so I think the last guy we want to ask you about uh, is Cody Bellinger. You know, he had his resurgence in 2023. Um the Dodgers let him go. Cubs came through, picked him up. Uh, I mean, do you think the Cubs go back and, and they want to see if they can have him long term? I mean, which direction do you see Bellinger going uh, this offseason? 
Bellinger is another interesting case. The entire free agent market really has a butt attached to it. Bellinger was an MVP, but he had three straight, <laughs> frankly, atrocious seasons after the MVP season. Uh, or, or two. Yeah, three straight. That's right. Um, and then the, even this last year, his numbers were off the try. I mean, bad at 330 this year, his OPS was up over 900 and his power numbers were back and he was stellar defensively. But if you look at his expected numbers, his expected batting average, his expected Woba, his expected slugging percentage, all indicated that he was a bit lucky in regards to his exit velocity and where he hit the ball. And I think a lot of that had to do, too, with the elimination of the shift. That was an aspect. But in that same breath, we're not going to get the shift re-implemented. So there's that aspect. It's not like you know you can't use that against him when you're not going to see shifts anywhere in the near future. So he has that working for him. I think it really comes down to how going to your Yankees. The Yankees have reportedly not been as analytically driven as maybe some other competitive ball clubs. And so I think that's why the Yankees are probably a little bit higher on Bellinger than other teams, because maybe they don't value expected on base percentage or expected OPS as much as Tampa might would, you know, so and I'm, I'm spitballing here, you know, like I'm not saying this is what Yankee, the Yankees front office and Cashman are actually saying within those front offices. But I do think that certain front offices value certain stats more than others and other front office value these ones. And this, you know, it, it, it can vary case by case, front office by front office. Absolutely. I think judge made that comment earlier this week that he said he wants the Yankees to start valuing RBIs and average more than what they've been judging so far. So Remains to be seen what the Yankees put up. I know James is excited, but he's also shaking his head whenever we mention some names. So sure to be an enticing so, offseason so far. But we have three fun rapid fire questions to throw at you if you're game for them to wrap things up. Get it. All right. The first one we've got for you, and this can be in any direction you want to take it, but we ask our guests for one bold prediction for the MLB offseason. Could be a signing, a trade, or yeah. anything in between. This might not be bold, but I think the Padres hold on to Soto and compete in in twenty four. So I, I, that's almost anticlimactic. <laughs> it's it's anti bold, but I think the Padres would be. They're trying to cut payroll, but you don't give up that many prospects for one year of Soto. Get you know he's going to be worth a lot of money mid season if you're out of the race. Hold on to Soto and give it a go in twenty four. The numbers indicated that the Padres should have fared a lot better than what their record actually was. Give it a go in 24, hold on to Soto. And then if you're out of things come midseason, then that's when you unload on Soto. I think the Padres hold on to Soto. And take more money from the bank. (laughs) Oh, I like it. The second one, I'm sure your co-host, Will Middlebrooks, has thought about this question a lot throughout his career, but... Your walk-up song that you would put up to the plate as you're coming up with the stadium pumping Game 7 of the World Series, what would be blasting as you're coming up to the plate? Yeah, so in college, my first one was Jump Around, which was like, okay, it was very mediocre. <laughs> um, what? Oh my gosh, my, my last year of college, I had a really great one. It was like it was like it was very like Oakland hyphy esque stuff, and I probably don't fit the bill for that at all. But it was it was it was really it got the people jumping. I, I forget the name of the song, um, but "Jump Around" was my first one. I'll have to get back to you on my my. I really enjoyed my my last year walkout song. That was great. I like it. It's always the balance of get a song that's pumped up for you or to get the entire crowd going, and that's always a yeah. fun balance too. James, I know you think about your walk up songs too at UTSA. 
Oh yeah, I'm 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 still still going through for this this year. It's a it's a long list. Got to narrow it down in the next couple of months. Do you have a number one? Right now, uh, I, I was going I was going a little more a little more with uh, the rap. I was going to do a big X the plug song. Uh, okay. Little Texas, little Texas guy. Since I live down here in Texas. Nice. I'll act. I'll nod my head and act like I know what. <laughs> <it. laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love it. And then the third question we have for you, sort of an appreciation for hopping on the podcast with us. We let our guests do a little bit of dictating where the show is going to go in the future. And you get to shout out someone either from your baseball journey or anywhere that you think would be a cool next guy to have on the podcast. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Middlebrooks. Hit up Middlebrooks. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he's pretty busy. I know that. But um, who knows? Maybe you might look into it. I I, I don't know. Um <laughs> I, I know a guy, you know, like I, I can, maybe I can, his brother up, but I, I don't know. So I'll, I'll go with, I'll go with Willie. You know, I know he's uh like, I don't know. He's like, he's been living it up. He's got a house in Georgia right now. He's been like living it up in the, I, he lives a really good life. So I don't, I don't know if he'll do it, but you know, give I know you can point, he pulls out that ring and says, yeah, I have this and all that. Stuff. Yeah. 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 If he starts charging you to join the podcast, tell him to go F himself, you know, <laughs> Oh, absolutely. But I love it. But we really had a blast having this half of the Wake and Rake podcast on today. Really appreciate all the time, all the insight. We'll see if all those breaking news. And of course, if the Padres hold on to Soto, we're going to say that you had it right here with us first. So really appreciate all the time, all the insight, all the laughs, as well as learning all about your journey and the start of Wake and Rake and the start of your career at CVS and a lot of insight into the social media world. So James, unless you got anything else to throw in here. No, it was fantastic. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So for Dylan, James, and Danny, until the next time, the side is retired.